Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Once again, good morning, Emmanuel Faith. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just such a joy to have you with us today. I hope you have a, a great Labor Day weekend uh, celebrating with friends and family and hopefully eating some good barbecue, all right? Uh, a few months ago, the lights in our boys' bathroom went out. They have one of those vanities that has eight individual light bulbs around, above the sink, and it went out. And I assumed that because they all went out, that it was some sort of breaker or an electric issue that had happened. So um, I, I went and I found all of those, you know, GFCI outlets in our whole house, and I hit test and reset on every single one of them. Ever been, ever been on that wild goose chase? That was fun. Um, none of those worked, so I went out to the backyard or actually into the garage, and I went to the breaker, and I found the breaker that I thought was attached to the boys' bathroom, and I reset that, and I hit it, and nothing happened. Um, and then I, I texted my friend Lars, who lives in our neighborhood, and I'm like, Lars, do you know where the breaker is that's attached to the bathroom upstairs because his house is similar to mine? And he gave a few ideas, and I tried those, and none of those worked. And then I texted my friend that moved away a year ago, but still had the same model house, and I'm like, you don't happen to remember where the breaker was that was attached to the boys' bathroom? And... Nothing worked, and I finally just gave up. They were in darkness in their bathroom for roughly two months. <laughs> and we called our electrician friend and said, hey, can you come out here, and can you take a look at it? And so um, he did one day, and I got home after work on the day that he'd come over, and I was greeted by my lovely wife, Kelly, and I said, hey, um, was he able to fix the light in the bathrooms? And she goes... He was. And by the look on her face, I knew it wasn't good. So you know when you call tech support how they will ask you, is it turned on? And usually you're like, get behind me, Satan. I wouldn't be calling you if I didn't check. Okay, so it wasn't that bad. Um, it, was, it was in fact turned on. <laughs> but the problem with the lights and the vanity is that every single one of the eight bulbs was burned out. Every single one of them. And like to our boys, we're like, you couldn't mention this downward slide that was happening like one at a time? Until you're just in utter darkness? Like you couldn't have just mentioned that we've got five out of eight light bulbs burned out? Like that was too much for you? I know putting on the toothpaste cap is a lot, but light... Please, Lord, come back soon. <laughs> and maybe that's just my issue because I felt like such an idiot. I'm going around the house like breakers, like that's not it. And, uh, outlets, nope, that's not it. And all it needed was a bulb from Home Depot. <laughs> Those were expensive bulbs. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I offer that as a metaphor for modern life. I think there are many of us who know that it's dark. Anxiety is rising, wars are raging, the economy is unstable. And I think all of us, we have this just like this gut level sense that something's wrong. 
Like that there's some sort of darkness. And, 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 and metaphorically speaking, I think we go around the house and we like flip the breakers and that doesn't work. And we go to the outlets and we hit test and reset and that doesn't work. And then, and then we operate on repeat and then we just sort of decide, well, I guess we're just bound to live in darkness. But we all know that we can't go on too long living in darkness. Like as human beings, we were designed and we were created for the light. The irony is that we have a phase in history called the Enlightenment. And during that phase, there was this elevation of scientific reasoning, which was all good. There was a lot of progress that was made. But during that phase, there was the assumption embraced amongst human beings that if we make just a little bit more progress, then we'll work our way out of this mess. A little bit more technology, a little bit more science, and in the midst of all of that sort of progress and imagination that if we can just get over this hurdle, then it will be smooth sailing. The individual autonomous self was held up as the hope for every single one of us. If we can just make a name for ourselves, if we can just accomplish enough, if we can just do enough, then we will find the light. However, I think we would all agree that the myth of progress has reve been revealed to be just that, a myth. Like, like things keep on quote unquote getting better and yet we feel emptier and emptier. The technological advances that we thought would make our lives easier actually made our lives busier. And it seems like the more we chase after the light, the more we find ourselves in the darkness. So where do we find the kind of light that our souls long for? I'm so glad you asked. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me set a little bit of context so that you know sort of where we've been, because where we've been is going to shape where we're going. At the very beginning of chapter 7, John told us that it was the time of the Feast of Booths. Now, this was a, a time in the Israelite calendar where people would travel to Jerusalem where they would live in temporary shelters. It was sort of like backpacking in the city. They would live on roofs and out in open space areas as a way to remind themselves about God's faithfulness to the Israelite people in the middle of the wilderness. God gave them bread from heaven, water that flowed from a rock, and God was their miraculous provision during their wilderness wanderings. In fact, on the very last day of that great feast, Jesus stands up in the midst of all the people and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and drink. And God was faithful to provide water from a rock in the wilderness. And now I'm telling you, if you want living water, come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus has already claimed to be the bread of life. Moses, um, God provided Moses with manna in the desert in order to feed them. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He provides water to come out of a rock. And Jesus claims to be living water. And in the midst of all of that, there's a celebration going on in the temple. And on the very last day of the feast, Jesus said this. And the day after he came and he stepped in between a group of people who wanted to stone a woman caught in adultery. And he showed everybody there what living water looked like. It looked like mercy. And it looked like grace on display. But Jesus wasn't done teaching in the temple. 
In fact, the passage we're going to read today, he was teaching in that very same temple. Look down at verse 20 with me. It says this, these words he spoke in the where? Treasury as he taught in the where? Temple. Now, I've told you this before, but anytime John drops in a detail that seems overly descriptive for the type of literature we're writing, it should cause our antennas to go up. So why in the world did John tell us that Jesus was teaching not just in the temple, but in the treasury? Begs the question, where was the treasury? Well, the treasury was in the court of women. It was in the the place where the women were allowed to go, but no further than that. So there would have been men and women in the court of the women where the treasury was. What's really interesting is that during the Feast of Booths, because they were remembering the wilderness wanderings, they would light four 75-foot-tall candelabras every single night, and they would light them on fire as a way to symbolize the fact that God led them around in the wilderness with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Right. So if you could imagine the city of Jerusalem... Every night in the Feast of Booths just lit up. Some would say that the light went to every quarter of the city. Now, any guesses where these four 75-foot-tall candelabras were located? In the treasury! In the treasury, in the court of women. So many people think that as Jesus is talking and as Jesus is teaching and as Jesus says to the people, I am the what? light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but in the light of life. He's probably pointing at one of those dark candelabras. He's pointing at one of the lights that lit up their night, but just like Christmas after you take down the lights and the season's over and you sort of go, oh, bummer. They were feeling that same way. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. You don't need to live in darkness just because that light's out. I'm the, I'm the true light. I'm the true life. See, those lights were symbolic of the fact that God led his people and he led them faithfully through the wilderness for 40 years. It says this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of what? Fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and by night, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. And if you go and you read through the Old Testament when the people of God are traveling around in the wilderness, that light did three things for them. That light reminded them of the presence of God in their midst. That light protected them against enemies that would come and attack. I mean, you think if you're surrounding a tribe and you're going to attack the Israelite people and you see a massive flame over their camp at night, you'd probably be like, let's attack someone else, right? And then finally, every time that light moved, the people moved with it. It's like follow, literally, literally, they are walking through the desert following the light. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. That was, pun intended, that was a shadow of what was to come. 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want you to notice just a few things about this just earth-shattering statement that Jesus makes. First, he claims that he is the light. Not that he has access to the light. He claims that he is the light. So we experience light as we get closer to Jesus, if he is the light. Secondly, secondly, he's not just the light for some. He's the light for, say it with me, whoever, for everyone, for anyone, for whoever would come and follow him. You know what's fascinating to me is that Jesus is both extremely inclusive. Whoever, whoever wants to come and follow me, you're invited. And at the same time, he's also exclusive. He does not claim to be a light. He doesn't claim to be one of the lights. He claims to be the light. He's both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. And he's rendering a verdict on all of us. And he says, apart from me, you walk in what? Darkness. You walk in darkness. By that, I think he means that human solutions for illumination and enlightenment will always leave us wanting. They will never fully satisfy. We could have a hundred more seasons of enlightenment and we would feel just as in the dark as we do now. See, what Jesus is saying is that the way of human flourishing is illuminated by following Jesus, by following him. He's saying, if you want to know what it means to be human, if you want to know what it means to flourish, to live the kind of life where you get up in the morning and you go, God, even in the midst of struggle and pain and sorrow, I'm so grateful that I'm alive. To know the kind of purpose and meaning that you were created for. If you want that kind of flourishing and that kind of life, you need the light of Jesus. It comes in no other way and no other fashion. And over the next few minutes, I just want to show you what Jesus says about himself as the light, the way that people push back on it. And then I, I want to show you the way that that light is intended to shine on our lives. So there's three things from this text that I want to point out. First, Jesus says, whoever, what? Say it with me, church. Follows me. Walks in the light. So notice what he doesn't say. Whoever agrees with me. Walks in the light. Whoever admires me walks in the light. Whoever goes to church walks in the light. No, the picture is of the pillar of fire leading the Israelite people around the wilderness and them following the lead of that pillar of flame. Can you imagine how frustrating it would have been if you were a part of that Israelite community following that pillar of flame by night and you had just gotten your tent set up in the wilderness and you found that place where you're like, oh yeah, there it is. I think I'm going to sleep real well tonight, right? Because you have to contort your body around all the rocks and you're like, there it is. And then people are like, the light's moving. <laughs> I mean, how tempted would you be to be like, yeah, I'll catch up with him tomorrow, right? Like, I'm going to get a good night's sleep now. And every time that light moved, you moved too. How frustrating. How disappointing. How stretching. 
Because in order to trust Jesus as the light of the world, we need to do exactly what they did, and that's to trust his wisdom. To trust his wisdom that sometimes doesn't feel all that wise. To trust his wisdom that is a bit confusing at times and a bit frustrating at times. And the people who are listening to Jesus in this moment when he's talking, they immediately start to push back. They go, come on. That's quite the statement for you to make. Are you, how can we trust you? Are you sure? Listen to what they said, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing, a wit- you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So they point back to the law and they say in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says that if a witness is going to be validated, there has to be another person that stands up and says, I see it the same way or I saw it also. And you only have one person. So... And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. Thank you very much. Jesus says, I know who I am. You have no clue who I am. Thanks for your input. Like I said, I didn't stutter. I am the light of the world. And then he goes, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. He's going, the Father and I are operating as a single unit. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. He's going, yeah, I get it. That's what the law says. (laughs) I think Jesus is like, I'm quite acquainted with the law. Thank you very much. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, where is your Father? Like, Jesus, come on, you keep speaking about the Father, where where is he? Shine that light you're talking about on him. I think he would say, I am, thank you very much. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. So Jesus is claiming to be the witness that they are looking for, but they just simply can't see. They can't get there. And I think we should probably have um, a a little bit of understanding for them because we got to start at the beginning of John's gospel. They did not. At the beginning of John's gospel, we found out that Jesus was the word who was with God in the beginning, who was God, who everything was created through, who is God in human flesh dwelling amongst us. They didn't know any of that. So they're hearing Jesus make these claims of deity, like I am the light of the world. And they're like, prove it, prove it. You can't just say that. You have to Prove it. And I think underneath all of this is this question, can we really trust you? Can we really trust you? Or are you going to hang us out to dry? Are you going to claim to be that light where we start following you and then we just get picked off and run over? And isn't that the question that we struggle with also? Like Jesus, if if I really follow, if I trust your wisdom, am I going to get run over? Am I going to get hung out to dry? I mean, lose your life and find it. Give your life away and save it. That's a teaching of Jesus. He would say that's light. But for us, that feels like risk, doesn't it? 
Um, It is better to give than to receive. That's light. Man, it just feels, it feels untrue. (laughs) Forgive those who wrong you. Pray for those who persecute you. That's light. But man, it just feels like that makes you vulnerable in a way where you just get taken advantage of and run over. Or, or maybe even like something just uh, like turn the other cheek. Really, Jesus? All the time? And I think, so, so it's easy for us to look at the people that are first hearing Jesus' message going, I'm not sure we can trust you, but I think we need to sort of enter into their plight and go, we struggle with the same thing. It's hard for us to trust Jesus too. And unless we can name that, I don't think we will ever take the difficult steps to say, when the light moves, we want to move. And where the light goes, we want to go. Because we believe that in Jesus, there is flourishing. And in Jesus, there is life. And even if it's counterintuitive and paradoxical, we believe that he's right. And when we disagree with him, we choose him. But I think, unfortunately, oftentimes what we do, what we do is that we trust our wisdom instead of his. And then we twist it in order to sort of force it into the gospel, right? Like, so try a few of these on. Like, we want power. And so, like, oftentimes people turn to a, like a, a hyper-charismatic movement in order to show them how to get power. Like, we want success, so people turn to the prosperity gospel to show them how to be successful. We want great sex, so we turn to the purity culture to show us how to get it someday. And I think we've taken our secular deities and baptized them and assumed that Jesus wanted to fulfill those dreams just because we attached his name to him. But what if, what if following Jesus isn't about taking a different path to the same goal? What if it's about an entirely different goal? What if the point is something entirely different? What if following Jesus isn't about using Jesus to get something we really want? What if it's about getting Jesus? And I think that's what he's saying. Will you, will you trust me? Will you trust my wisdom? Not to get you what you want, but to be the light. To be the light. Rather than your own wisdom of what you think is best or what you ultimately want. So when it comes to being quote-unquote enlightened or illuminated, the first question is, will you trust his wisdom? Listen to the second, verse 21. So he said to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Isn't it interesting to hear the reaction to Jesus that often seems just out of left field. And you're like, what did they hear that we're not hearing when we read what Jesus is saying? He says, you are from below, I am from above. And just imagine Jesus pointing when he says it. He's pointing to the candles when he talks about being the light of the world. Uh, He's pointing to down. He's like, you are from below, I'm from above. Thank you very much. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So this is almost humorous. Jesus claims he's going to a place that they cannot go, and they assume that he's going to kill himself. Why? 
Because they would assume that if you took your own life, you would go to Sheol or to hell. And so that would be a place as good Jews that they could not go. They assumed that they would be going to heaven. And Jesus says back to them, no, I'm not going to Sheol or hell. I'm going to heaven. And that's the place that you cannot follow me to. That's the place that you cannot go. And then he tells them why. I told you that you would die in your what? For unless you believe that I am he, or unless you believe that I am the I am, you will die in your sin. So notice, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then like a doctor reading a CT scan, he goes, and, and, and I'm going to shine a light on bad news. I'm going to shine a light on the problem. And Jesus claims to see the problem that humanity is caught in clearer than any person that has ever walked the face of the earth. He sees it clearly because he's not caught up in it himself. And he says, the problem that we all have, the reason that the darkness is here is because of what? Sin. It's because of sin. And when he shines a light, the question is, will we trust his wisdom? And then will we accept his diagnosis? Will we accept his diagnosis? And see, I think that there are some who have come to terms with the fact that we are in darkness. But just like I was trying every single breaker and every single outlet in my house, I think we wander around in life doing the exact same thing. Like maybe if I try this, the light will shine. Maybe if I try that, maybe if I achieve enough, maybe if I find him or her, then I'll be all right. Maybe, just maybe, and we're just switching breakers and hitting outlets, and it's still dark. And it's still dark. There may be no better example of that than the way that we use the term enlightenment, ironically speaking. See, because when we think of the enlightenment, you probably... If you've done any reading on world's religions, my guess is you think of Buddhism or other Eastern religions. And see, in Buddhism, enlightenment or, or illumination or the light of the world or nirvana is actually found in detaching ourselves enough from the desires that we have so that we can escape suffering and then eventually escape the cycle of rebirth and enter into perfection or nirvana. So in Buddhism, the story or the narrative is if you look deep enough inside, then you will find the light. And you've just got to keep peeling back those layers and eventually you will find the light. Light is on the inside. You just have to shed enough detachment in order to find it. However, I want to make it very clear that Jesus is teaching something definitively different. Jesus is saying that sin is our greatest problem, that sin is in each one of us, and that sin is terminal. And contrary to enlightenment thinking, we will not out-detach sin, we will not out-progress sin, we will not out-invent sin, we will not outrun this sickness and come up with a vaccine in order to magically make it go away. Because he shines a light on each one of us and he goes, it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in you, and it's in us. 
It's in us. I love the way that author, pastor, Paul Tripp put it. He said this, if sin tells you that you are your greatest problem, then you cannot be the solution. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Come on, that, like, Paul, slow clap, Paul Tripp for the win. If we are the problem, then we are not the solution. And Jesus comes and he says, let me show you the problem. When I was uh, pastoring a church in Colorado, every Easter season, we would have this black light Easter, uh, Easter egg hunt where we had black lights all over the church and we hid fluorescent eggs all over the church and people would come in from all around in order to be a part of this black, egg, or black light Easter egg hunt. And it was amazing. The only problem with a black light is that it doesn't just illuminate a fluorescent egg. <laughs> it illuminates everything that has ever spilled on the carpet of the church. So we were like to the whole community, hey, why don't you guys come in and see how dirty our church is? This will be great, it'll be fun. And by the way, Christ is risen, right? I mean, like, have you seen those um, like Dateline episodes where Keith Morrison has like a black flashlight and he's like, let's go see how clean that hotel really is. You thought it was clean, but... And then he's like, and it's like, I'm never leaving my house again, right? That's, like, that's what a black light does. It, it shows things that we would normally rather keep hidden. In fact, um, when, when, when my wife was standing there under the black light, she smiled at me and I snapped this picture <laughs> because she lost her front tooth as a kid, right? Like you would never know it, except for the fact that I stole this picture off her phone and she's just now seeing that it's a part of the sermon. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. I would, I would never do that. I love being married, okay? Um, it's the best thing. But I think that's the picture. Like when Jesus comes, he shines a light, not just in general on the world, but he shines a light on each one of us. And he goes, it's in you, and it's in you. And you're, you, the problem is on the inside. So you've got to look outside for the solution. And an accurate diagnosis must precede any healing. An accurate diagnosis must precede any healing. And the longer we keep looking inside for light, the longer we're going to walk in darkness. And I just wonder if there's maybe some darkness that you'd like to keep hidden, that today Jesus is inviting you to say, will you let me shine my light on that? That relationship that you think is just sort of, you can, you can have that and still follow me in the light. I wanna shine on that too, he says. The way that you're spending your finances, I wanna shine on that. The way that you talk to your kids, I wanna shine on that. The way that your fragile ego causes you to respond to people in a way that doesn't look like me, I wanna shine a light on that. Here's the thing, you guys. Every single one of us is harboring darkness in some recess of our soul. The question is, will we let the light of Jesus shine on that today? Or will we go, nope, you can't touch that part. I'm going to keep that to myself and I'm going to go on living my life. If we do that, Jesus says, you don't walk in the light. 
In Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, for at one time you were in darkness. You were, you're not anymore though. But now you are in light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. See, even when you're in the light, you can choose to walk in darkness. You can choose to say, I'm holding on to this peace. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, say it with me, church, expose them. Like, let Jesus shine that light. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. And yes, we would rather hide. And yes, we would rather assume, if I just keep this hidden a little bit longer, then I can work my way out of it. And Jesus says, no. Let me shine my light on you. Confess, repent. There is life and light. There is flourishing available, but not if you harbor the darkness. So the story continues. And they say to him, who are you? And maybe even like, who do you think you are to talk to us like this? Ironically, they, they keep accidentally asking the right questions. <laughs> who are you is the right question. They just refuse to come to terms with the answer. Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, and I love this turn of phrase, this from the beginning, because in the beginning was the word. And we find out later that Jesus is the word. And from the beginning of his ministry, I think he's saying, I've never misled you. Been a bit cryptic, but I've never misled you. Verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They did not understand. That's an understatement. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. When you've lifted me up, then you will know I'm the I am. And that I do nothing of my own authority. So there's, you're going to find out when you lift me up that there's a backing and a power that you have no clue about right now. But speak just as the Father taught me. This phrase, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, has already been used in chapter 3. It will be used again in chapter 12. And it speaks definitively of Jesus being crucified on a Roman cross. And so what he says is, yeah, you want to talk about not understanding and, and me making no sense to you? He goes, let's go to the culmination of all of that. And let's talk about the logic of the cross, the son of man being lifted up. It's not going to make any sense to you until it happens and until you see the way God works through it. And then at one point it will click. And when I rise from the dead, everything I say will be validated because when you're dead one day and alive the next, you don't need another person as a testimony to know that you're speaking truth, right? That's what he's saying. And so in a dialogue where people are going back and forth with Jesus and claiming that he makes no sense to them, he goes, let's go to the pinnacle of all of the world's illogic and let's talk about the Son of God nailed to a Roman cross. God coming in incarnation is one level of insanity. God on the cross, crucifixion is a whole other level. 
And Jesus says, that's where all of this is heading. The cross is so offensive that when Jesus talks to Peter about the cross, Peter pulls him aside and goes, you shouldn't talk like that. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The cross is so illogical that when Jews and Greeks try to process it, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles. And listen to the way Jesus himself talked about being lifted up. He said this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be what? Lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so what? Love the world. This, is this um, coming to mind for anybody? Seen the sign at a football game lately, John three sixteen. Okay. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die in their sin, but should have everlasting life. So Jesus says, I am lifted up because the father so loved the world. Love by definition means acting on behalf of another for their good. So Jesus claims you are dead in your sin and it's on the cross that he takes upon himself the penalty for our sin, which is death, and then rises to give us new life in him. Friends, the love of God is not arbitrary. It is not overly romanticized. It is not ambiguous. The love of God is displayed in the cross of Christ. This is the place where God is most clear about the way he loves because it is the place where he provides our rescue of our cosmic enemies of sin, death, and evil, takes your sin upon himself, buries it in the ground, and walks out of the grave with new life in his hands. Jesus shines a light on that and says, will you receive this love? Will you receive this love? Will you receive this rescue? Will you allow the light of the crucifixion to shine on you. Because in the crucifixion, God does what we could not do by looking inside. He rescues us from our cosmic enemies and he reunites us with our father. So as Jesus stands in the temple courts, pointing to these dark candelabras saying, I am the light of the world. It says, and as he was saying this, many, what? Believed in him. Many believed in him. Many said, we'll trust your wisdom, even when it feels illogical. Many said to him, we'll accept your diagnosis, even though it stings a little bit. And many said to him, we will receive your love because we believe we cannot rescue ourselves. So the question is, many believed then. Do you believe today? Do you believe today? Do you believe that he is the light? And in believing, will you let him shine on on Wednesday, I don't know how many of you saw it, but we had a, a lunar event called a blue moon, which by the way, 
That's where we get the phrase, once in a blue moon. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. And it was just unbelievable to see the moon sort of creeping up over the hills and just shining so brightly. The blue moon meant that the moon was a little bit closer to the earth, and so it just shined, and it just was bigger than normal, brighter than normal. And all these pictures started to show up from all around the world of the way that the moon was just lit up. This picture from Greece, I think, was one of my favorites. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. And here's the thing about the the moon. Regardless of how bright the moon looks, the moon is creating absolutely zero light in and of itself. Every light that you see on the moon is simply a reflection coming from the sun and then shining back to us, shining back to us. And I think that's what Jesus would say to you and to me also, is the light that you shine and the light that you walk in doesn't come from yourself. It comes when you walk in proximity to the one who says, I am the light of the world and who makes a promise, when you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but you will walk in the light of life. And I would say that as you walk in that light and that life, you shine on those around you, just like the moon. See, the moon gets its light from the sun, S-U-N. But as human beings, we get our light from the sun, S-O-N. And the question is, Will we walk in that light? Do you believe? Do you believe? Will you trust his wisdom? Will you accept his diagnosis? And will you receive his love? Do you believe? I love that we get the chance together to go to the table this morning because it's at the table that we get to remember that darkness took its best shot at Jesus. The cross is darkness's attempt to extinguish the light. But remember, remember, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot, and will never overcome it. And it's at the table that we get to remember that light will always win. Life will always win. Love will always win, both cosmically and individually in us. As we walk with him, we experience the light that he designed us to walk in. So at the table, we remember that Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen. That our sin, the wages of sin is death, but Jesus was lifted up so that we might have life in him. He's forgiven us and he's called us to walk in his light. And it's the place where we once again affirm, I follow you. You're my God and I follow you. So let me just give you a moment to set your heart before God. If you don't have a communion elements if you, and want some, would you raise your hand? This table's open to to any and all who are followers of Jesus. So if that's you, we invite you to participate today. If it's not you, I would just invite you to put the elements off to the side and just to hold your life before God and ask, maybe you just ask this simple question of yourself. 
who do you believe he is? Who is this Jesus? And I would say, I would say that you owe it to yourself to ask the question, why am I here today? And I don't think it's by accident or happenstance. I think you're here today to hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus is the King, that he's come to your rescue, that apart from him, you walk in sin and darkness, but that when you say yes to him and when you follow him, you walk in light and his invitation is open to anybody. If you believe in me, I will redeem, I will rescue, I will save, and I will light you up. That's his invitation. And if you say yes to his invitation, he says, you are my followers. So friends, it's at the table that we get to Remember that our frantic running around and hitting breakers and outlets is not only useless, but it's unnecessary. We just get to go to Jesus and we get to rest in him. And when we do that, we will never walk in darkness. So Lord, as we get ready to go to the table together, our desire is to meet you here. Would you shine your light afresh on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.